0: Episode 92, The Rant. Coach Richard Curtin, proud father, prouder grandfather, eternal basketball coach, and season-wise soul. Some 20 years ago, Coach Curtin and I were at the confines of the Kellenberg Memorial High School gym. Not only was he my coach, he informed my own coaching career and always encouraged me to stay in the game. Not to mention his perplexing philosophies that are transcendent now. On the eve of his 60th birthday, we discuss his life, his coaching career, and career and what life has taught him. All that and more, my conversation with Coach Curtin, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life. And with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah, Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just two grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.land, code REFEREERANT. The Rant has been brought to you by the revolutionary product for referees and all professionals alike, Knee Tucks. What the tuck? Traditional shirt stays have been tried and true, but never accounted for those professionals that have shorts as uniforms. What do you do when you officiate soccer or lacrosse or even basketball in the summer? Don't forget about baseball umpires, too. Enter Knee Tucks, which come in style and active versions. Don't get it twisted. You can even wear them at your 9-to-5, too. Listeners of the rant can visit neattucks.com and enter the coupon code referee rant one word and receive 20% off your initial order. That's referee rant one word. Happy tucking. Welcome to another edition of the rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Breath. I'm with a special guest, my former basketball Kellenberg varsity boys basketball coach from when I was in high school, um, former Chaminade alum, baseball standout, as well as an AU coach. Coach Richard Curtin, how are you, my friend? Ralph, how are you? Good to be here. <laughs> I'm good. I've I've seen him from time to time over the course of my adult life, but um, I met this man November '97 when I was trying out for the basketball team, and um, we knew nothing about you. I remember we had JV coach Coach Nelson, who's now the uh, the head coach of the men's uh, NYU basketball team now, oh. um, and I guess the program was kind of in. It was like Helter Skelter. So when we met you, um, I know you set the tone early just by your energy and your intensity. And of course, with Coach Carter, um, that intensity was just elongated. And you know, you you were a very positive direction. You were a very positive influence for you know, a lot of young men that were on that team. So nonetheless, welcome to the show.
1: Well, uh, again, thanks for having me. And uh, my recollection of that, that was my first year as a varsity basketball coach and I've done a lot of coaching and uh, I, you know, as a Chaminade alumni Kellenberg and Chaminade are connected so I mm-hmm. I, uh, I, my recollection is I was very enthused and excited and uh, I had to get to know the people not being a teacher that's a little bit challenging because you don't really know the personnel and you're brand new but uh, it was a good, a, good, a good bunch of kids and, uh, you know, it was a good year and, and We're my tenure get
0: there was good We'll get into that We're going to get into all that But I want to go all the way back let's, let's set it all the way back Where did you grow up? What sports did you play growing up? And, you know, what, what was your relationship with sports In middle school, in high school, in college? Oh,
1: so I grew up in Seaford, Long Island I was born in 1959 um, And I went to parochial school St. William the Abbot I went to Chaminade And I went to Boston College uh, my relationship with sports. Uh, I guess at that particular, my my father loves sports. We watch sports, but uh, growing up at that time, uh, sports was uh, for certain kids everything. You know, we we didn't have the opportunity to play um, the same sport through the, throughout the year. It was really. Uh, you know, football, basketball, and baseball, and those were the popular sports. But we spent most of our time, unlike some of the kids today, and I'm not saying that that's a negative, uh, but active, you know, out in the street playing sponge ball, basketball, uh, football, touch football, flag football, mm. and uh, that's how we bonded. You know, we, we knocked on the door, we called, called for each other, we went out, got a group of kids, went to the park, Played tackle football, came home broken, sore. Mm. And that was
0: our lifestyle. We loved it. So I'm just doing the mathematics in my head. And I always wanted to get inside intel, especially when I was in high school, about Chaminade. Because I always felt Chaminade was like a alternate universe for me. Because um, I was this close to going. When, when my parents told me that I couldn't go to public school, but they told me that I could leave Kellenberg. I was kind of excited because I thought they would give me the ability to go back to public school. And they were like, no, you we can either stay here or go to Chaminade. And to me, just the perception of not wanting to be in Catholic school already, the lesser of the two evils was to stay because it was a subtraction of girls. But I do know that over the course of me coaching at Kellenberg, now I understand the advantage that Shamanat has that, you know, when you're trying out for the freshman basketball team, mm. you have so many kids. So what was that like trying out for sports? At Chaminade High no, School? No, it's
1: a great question. Um, first of all, in going to Chaminade, I think when you were in eighth grade, um, you really rely on your parents for direction. Uh, at least I did. Mm. Um, I didn't really have a direct. I knew nothing about Chaminade. I took the entrance exam. You knew I there was it. no girls, though, right? I did know it was all boys. But that at, at in eighth grade, that really wasn't a big issue. Mm. And, I, and I honestly, honest to God, it is a bigger issue in 11th and 12th grade. It's so big. Because... I think there's a certain, um, and I don't want to sound, it, it's not negative, but there's a certain development or maturity that you go through when you have to socialize with um, different sexes. Mm. Okay. And, and, and there's, in Chaminade, that's a little bit absent in our social daily educational environment. On the other side of the coin is it takes an element out of, of, of high school because you're not so concerned about meeting this one or that one in class and you're more focused on maybe your studies. So that would be the counterpoint to that. But, um, in retrospect, we could probably talk a couple of hours on that. Um, I don't want you to be sure. There's, there's really no time limit. No, no, I, I got it. I got it. But, but uh, you know, to, to stay on point, uh, I, I got into Chaminade and my parents felt, coming out of St. William the Abbott, my parents felt that Chaminade was a premier school for education. So given the opportunity to go there... Uh, my mother was really the driving force. My father was more laid back in our in my childhood, uh, but she said, "You should go there and you should try to do that mm. and uh, And so I did and honestly, the first year at shamana was very uncomfortable for me so uh-huh. now um, as as a as a childhood uh, athlete or jock or whatever you want to call it, um, my first love was basketball. I love that sport. And I had a basket in my driveway, and we had a driveway with two concrete strips and dirt. And I played so much that there were holes. The concrete obviously didn't, didn't uh, give way, but there were holes from constant playing. you know. And I was out there and played all the time. I loved it, and, and I wanted to play basketball at not High School. And to your point, uh, versus some different schools, you have 350 boys, um, smart kids, but also kids who excel in athletics that go to Chaminade. So when you try out for a team, you're competing against double the amount of kids you would in public school. Plus, public school is is geographical. So if I went to Seaford High School, I would have had a basketball career because I knew all the kids on the team and I played with them. Ironically for me, the first biggest disappointment of Chaminade for me was that freshman year when I went out for basketball. Mm. I was the 13th player and I got cut. Oh and so and 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 when that happened to me, that was devastating at that time, but I learned now, hindsight is twenty twenty uh that it actually was a gift because um you draw from that experience as you go on and you have to find different ways you have to cope with things cope, coping with disappointment is a big thing in society and life mm. it's also a big thing in coaching and it's a great lesson to learn as you were on my team you understood that we discussed that we
0: do and there's much 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 there's multi-layered questions that i have to ask you but yeah we but will get so into that, that. that so
1: that was my, my first experience to, to answer your question which with shaman was when when i got cut um, I didn't give up. I, I went out for a sophomore year. I was a thirteenth guy cut again. Uh, you know, I played intramurals. Uh, I was really disappointed, and I wanted to leave Chaminade and go to Seaford because I knew the guys on the team, and I probably would have played in Seaford. I, I, in fact, I played with them. Ironically, later we'll get on. Uh, we'll 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 get into how I how I played basketball for other. In other areas, which I ended up playing way more than I would have just played in high school, you know? mm. um, but you know that that was that was my first experience uh, with athletics at Shamanad. and uh, I did go off for the baseball team sophomore, year, and I made varsity, and that became my sport. So I had an identity athletically, and I loved it. I was probably a better uh, baseball player than a than a basketball player, but it it did have an underlying development in my coaching philosophy and my want to be involved with the sport that I love because once you don't play it anymore and I'm fast forward getting ahead of myself a little bit but when you get a little older and the opportunity to play organized basketball now now there's leagues all the way through till you're adult we didn't have that back then mm. but you look for another avenue to
0: to participate in this sport that you love and that's how I got into coaching mm. you know so that well I I want to get into those glory days of of playing high school uh, baseball at Chaminade. What what position did you play? And, you know, the only reason why I ask you is because um, I do the Catholic League games. Obviously, I can't do Kellenberg because I still coach there, but you might catch me on a varsity game, Chaminade versus St. Anthony's, and there is no better thrill than when two kids are wheeling and dealing and throwing that heat and being being able to command the strike zone and you're baffling every <laughs> single batter. And now it's a it's a one-run game and the game is one hour. Those regardless of the success that I've had in basketball officiating, those type of games in baseball, I'll do that one million times over. Because there's nothing, you can't replicate that type of drama in basketball the way it's in baseball. Just the thought that you can think of things and one pitch can can change and maybe one wild pitch changes the complexion and this guy didn't get on and this, the sub already came and the, the base, the pinch runner can't run and I don't know. What was your recollection well, of playing Listen, baseball? I love everything you just said. I, and I think that's
1: probably one of the most endearing factors. Baseball is not, not a timed sport. It's mm-hmm. an open-ended sport. And it gets it, a lot of people are critical of it. They feel it's boring. It isn't exciting. And I think the other way. I think we, we get addicted, addicted to that. i got to have that time frame. And there's excitement to that. I get that. That's basketball. That's football. Clock management is great. But baseball doesn't have that. Baseball is more like a movie. And it's, it's, it's what goes on in the beginning of the game has a tremendous effect in the middle of the game and the end of the game. And that's slow drama. And if you're watching it as a specter and or playing it, it's, it's very endearing and it's very addicting. And especially if you're good, if you're participating in it, there's nothing better than that because Mm -hmm. you could have, you could be 0 for 3 and you could have had maybe a, a, a bad fielding error or something, but you can get up in the. Bottom of the ninth inning with two men on and you're one run down and you get a base hit and you win the game, mm. and and there's nothing better than that, you no. know. And that and those kinds of things th- uh, that we experience, is I think the driving force behind why we do what we do. It's excitement. It's it's competition, and you got to learn how to navigate um, many social aspects. And I always preach that in my coaching, is that you know the lessons you learn. On the court or in the game, whether you're wrestling, playing lacrosse or football, are lessons that you're going to draw on and take on later in your life, Mm. you know. And how you handle that, they're all, everything is a learning mechanism. Everything is a teaching moment, Mm. you know. And uh, for me, I was good in baseball. I could hit well. I had a good arm. I was not fast. What was, position did you play? I played outfield at Chaminade. it has got to be boring. No, I
0: wasn't. No? Not at all. Not at all. I was a left fielder. At, a senior I was a left fielder. See, I don't know if you ever knew this about me, but I never played. <laughs> so I don't know. I've watched it. You know, when I was in high school, the Yankees won like five championships. <laughs> right? So that's my perception of it. And I did grow up watching Danny Tartable and terrible Mets teams that were on Channel Nine, but they were... Already at the tail end, after 88 when they weren't good anymore, and then like around 92 when the Yankees weren't really good. It was just something that if you didn't have cable, it just was always on. So I always took a liking to the game since I didn't have cable. And since the NBA wasn't on every night and you didn't have YouTube, I kind of got into it. I was like, that's interesting, you know? And I guess my perception of baseball has always been not from the low level, not starting from Little League and high school and all that. Because you didn't play it. It started from watching the majors. So when I became an umpire and the first time I have a middle school game, I didn't know that the catcher was going to be three foot four. I never thought of it like rationally because I've never been around little league. And then when the kid can't catch, it's like, Oh, this is, this is not the baseball I know. It it, it was, it was really weird for me. Yeah. I can, I can, you know, it's funny.
1: I can see that because it is a different experience when you, well, first of all, when I was a kid, this is what we had. You know, we, we had, uh, what, seven channels on television. Mm. Two, four, five, seven, nine, 11, and 13. That's it. You know, it's much different. Today, there's 600 channels on TV and multiple uh, vehicles to, from the Internet to streaming. You can watch content or play games and, and exchange information so readily. When we were kids, we didn't have that. So what we did was we went out and played, you know. But for me, uh, everybody joined Little League. Everyone you know that was a very popular thing to do and it's it's funny because all the parents want their children to participate in athletics so you a lot of people were funneled into Little League and it's 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 interesting because farms and minors where you're six, seven, and eight years old um, baseball is a very interesting game and I always tell this when, we're, when I'm talking to my friends about this but when you're when you're young and you're thrust into a sport where it's uh, you're you're almost on stage when you come up to bat. It's just you. Mm. If you're pitching, it's you on the mound. So if you're not good at it, let's say you know I'm not good at it. Yeah, okay. But but so what you experience as a young kid is you get up to bat and you strike out and you strike out and you strike out because you're not. Maybe that's not your thing. Not everybody does it. There are kids that hit and play well, but after a few years, especially in baseball. The kids that don't have an affirmation for that kind of weed themselves out, and they say, you know what, uh, Ma and Dad, I really don't. So we had a lot of kids, farms, minors, but by the time we got to majors, and it's ironic we're having this because right now the the Little League World Series is on, and I just absolutely adore that. I think it's one of the best uh, entertainment forms and of, of watching these kids mm. play, and they're fantastic, by the way. They're, they're really, it's great.
0: What's funny is that when I quit, well, a little bit before... A little bit after when I quit baseball, I think it was around 91, 92, um, the Philippines won the championship. Yeah. But they won, and and I remember my, my whole family was so excited because they won, and then they found out they were all like 18 years old. Well, yeah, I think, <laughs> the, I think the Little League
1: has addressed that issue, but and cheating isn't great either. But but anyway, to my point was, so by the time I was in majors as, as a player, I was fairly good at it. Uh, of course, you have camaraderie, you're part of the team, But you get uh, an experience of baseball as it's being coached to you by volunteers mostly. Uh, Now we have a much better mechanism to teach sports and train kids than we did with with me. But uh, you still learn the game. And and Mm. my recollection as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, I was at a particular level, but I had a great affirmation and a love for the game. I couldn't wait for the season. I wanted to play it extra but it was very difficult to do that,
0: you know? You can't drum up 18 people to just. No, it's not,
1: no, not baseball. It's not, it's not something that's easy to do. I mean, we, we did, we played games and stuff, but not like, um, uh, later on in my life, as I, as I had a family, I was able to do things for my children. And one of my children played baseball a lot. And I was able to uh, give him an opportunity to play and practice and hit and do a little bit more than I did. My father loved sports and he supported me, so... We did some extra stuff, and I, and I was pretty good at it,
0: you know. Did you have a lot of success at Chaminade? Did you win any league
1: championships? I did. Chaminade, our senior year, we won the Catholic High School Championship. That's got to be special. And, I, you know, my recollection of that, I might have my facts a little wrong, but I, I did hit pretty well. I batted fifth. I played a big role in many games. And uh, we had a good team. We had some good pitchers. And uh, we, we, we did well. It was fun, you know. Mm. And... Uh, uh, I, I liked it, you know, and I and I and I went on to play. Actually, you know, I I, I tried out in college, and I was uh, a candidate for a walk on at St. John's, but because I was transferring to BC, um, you know, it wasn't. It, Hindsight is twenty twenty. I really wanted to go away to college, so I wasn't going to stay and commute to St. John's. Not understanding that if you're getting entertained as a walk on, you shouldn't take that opportunity and throw it away. Mm-hmm. And I figured I'd go to BC and make the team. And of course, I went to BC, and um, BC is not baseball is not BC's main sport. Football, hockey, and basketball are their D one sports. So. Uh, I was taxi squad, and then I got out of doing that. You know, I, I finally accepted the fact that my, quote-unquote, athletic career is over, although I did play uh, stand usual for Nassau for a few years. I took a few years off. And, and then as we get into talking more later, later in the road, I have a long 24- or 5-year history going back to play baseball as an adult mm. because MSBL, which was a league that was started when maybe I was 30, 25, 30. I might have my dates off a little. It wasn't in existence, and then I met some guys. And honestly, that was the best baseball I ever played because I played with a lot of college kids. Mm. Same with basketball for me. So um, athletics was always a big part of my life. I learned a lot of lessons from that and, and, and um, maybe put too much weight on it at times because it can be disappointing. You're, losing is tough, nobody likes to lose you no. know and but I think there's some merit to getting through disappointment and adversity in your life, and you learn this lesson in athletics almost it it's you almost cannot not learn it because very few undefeated teams throughout your whole child right. you, you know so you 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 learn perspective, you learn how to function when things didn't go your way mm. and more importantly you if you if you're if you're taught well and you're Honest and open, the first thing you look at is, well, what can I do different? What happened? You know, we, we take a look at that. Why do we lose by 13 runs, you know? And instead of blaming the ump or blaming the fans or blaming the ride or blaming the field or the coach, we got to say to ourselves, well, well, really, was that the, the uh... we look inward. I, I mean, mm-hmm. at least that's what I did. You know, what can I need to do? And, and, and many times I didn't do things I should have did. And, and you learn that later in life, too which is a metaphor for your entire life because,
0: you know, as 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 we live each year, I, I'm still learning. This recording has already been one big fortune cookie. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I wanted to go back to just, and, and obviously this is the rant, and I think what's interesting is because your come up is not necessarily organized basketball, but here you are playing at Chaminade High School for baseball, and I umpire those kids. And what I appreciate about those kids is that, they, there's no lip. There's nothing because that's the mandate in Catholic League that they're not going to give anything. There's the, there's not going to be one iota of flack when it comes to a controversial call. The coach may come up to me in a respectful manner. Right. And tell me, like, oh, I disagreed with the call. Sure. It's sure. going to. But it's never going to come from a kid. However, in public school, different ball game, Right. Sometimes. Well, I, I would agree I, There may be
1: a little bit I, I, I probably have a more uh, Open viewpoint And I think for the most part Kids are taught respect And I think mostly children Are respectful um, Parochial school, Catholic school Or, or maybe uh, other types of Private schools Are strong on discipline Chaminade is strong on discipline You know, you can waver from the rules Not You know, so that's why you probably have a more um, respectful or 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 quiet approach when they disagree. And public school is probably a little bit more lax. Mm. Uh, We could probably talk a lot about culturally how that has evolved from um, the 60s to the 70s to the 80s and to the 90s. And I know throughout my experience with Little League, coaching my own children, AAU, um, I was never a proponent for giving children a trophy for participating. And in many programs that I was involved in, sometimes we did that. And I was outspoken against that, you know, because that's the norm. If you join, I, it's understood, you go, you know. And, and I think you lose the importance of uh, determination practice, hard work, uh, and, and things like that. So, um, but that's a whole nother rant, you know? Um, yeah, there's definitely differences in, um, in behaviors throughout educational institutions, but I think in general, um, and I had, I had children that went to parochial school and I had children that went to public school and I got to be honest, all of them excelled and did well. And I think the buck is it stops at home. Mm. It's, it's, how, it's how you parent your kids. You know, if you're going to tolerate disrespect and, 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 you, and you don't want to micromanage that school environment helps. But it also
0: begins at home and it's built at home. You For know? sure. You know, so. the point that I was trying to get at, though, is that since you didn't play organized basketball and you played Catholic high school baseball, what was your perception of referees? growing up at that time in high school? No, I never had problems with referees in high school. Playing, I
1: and, and don't forget, I didn't make Chaminade, but I ended up playing. Honestly, it, it's really ironic. I love the game, so I played CYO. I played what I could play. And what was your perception of referees then? Well, we got bad calls from time to time and and, and frustrated me when we lost. And and I would rant, and, and but I would never say anything disrespectful because I was taught you don't do that, you know. Um, certainly wouldn't mouth off. Um, it wasn't the refs issue for me. There wasn't. It was never really. I didn't view it as as that they weren't really trying to ref the game fairly. Later on in my coaching, I was involved in some tournaments where I was firmly in in the belief that forget it. We're not getting any call. But again, you no matter if that's the situation. If you're in an AAU tournament, and you're in a hometown, and you're playing the hometown team, and you suddenly see. Uh, you know, you're getting every call again. What do you how do how do you handle that? What do you do? I mean, what do we tell the kids? Pack the ball up and quit? No, we got to deal with that. So you got to do your best. Hmm. And and uh, I can distinctly remember being someplace somewhere when selling the kids. Forget the fo. Forget the focus on what isn't working. Let's focus on what's working. You know, you're going to have to adjust your. Um, coverage because if you touch them, you're going to get called on a call down foul. So, you, you know, play defense with your legs, take a step off, make, you know, if they got to shoot the ball, let them shoot the ball. Box out and and hopefully we can get out of here, for, you know, with some success. Mm. How did you get into coaching? Ah, uh, well, I, I to to uh, touch on an earlier discussion when I when I didn't make, well. First of all, I loved I, I loved sports, so I wanted to be involved. My first coaching job was I helped out when I was 15 with some uh, little leaguers, baseball, and I enjoyed that. I, I thought the kids were fun. I was always a, a kid, an older person in my neighborhood. My sister was seven years younger than me. She had a lot of friends, and those kids were little. And often I'd go out, and we'd be you know wrestling or throwing a ball around and all of a sudden I'd have like 12 kids in the yard and we were wrestling and throwing around and the kids loved that and I always enjoyed that because it brought um happiness and joy to the kids and I felt like hey wow this is pretty cool you know they look up to me because I'm considerably older but it was a fun thing to do and they have in fact it's ironic because because of Facebook some of those kids are friends with me on Facebook and they will write to me and say hey uh, do you remember when you used to throw the ball around or wrestle with us or play tag or whatever? And and it's fun because you don't really realize that you're making a difference in their lives. And similar to what you've shared with me. For sure. And, and uh, I mean, that's a gift. But to answer your question as far as getting into coaching, once I coached a couple of times as a 15-year-old and then uh, in college, my first head coach thing was I think I I got a team for Seaford Little League. Um, and it was, um, maybe I was 20 or 21. And I think they were 17 Babe Ruth. It might've been a Babe Ruth team. And I enjoyed that. You know, I had some decent kids on the team and, uh, good athletes and we were moderately successful, but I liked it. Um, so that was my twenties. That was one of my first two experiences with coaching. Um, I think yeah i gotta think for a minute um i took an i i took a period of time off um in my early twenties I, I i it's I have it now in my early twenties I went back to wanting to play the sport that I wanted to play the most, which was basketball um and as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't really fast, but that was because I was probably twenty pounds heavier than I should have been in high school. Now, if I, would have wor- if I would have worked hard to be in a better shape in high school, it might have made a difference, but I didn't, you know, ignorance is bliss. I didn't really realize that. So when I was 20, I decided, um, and this was a personal decision. I wanted to get back to my roots. Uh, I wanted to live a healthier life. And I began to go down to the park, uh, and this was Seamus Park in Seaford, and play pickup games of basketball. Well. In the summertime, all the kids that are anything in basketball go to the park and play. So we were playing four or five nights a week. When I was 21, 22, 23, and 24, uh, every summer I lived. I played tennis down there, but I also played basketball. And I was playing with some D2 players, D1 players, but I had lost about 25 pounds. So we had summer league. Town of Hempstead had a summer league. I ended up playing with some kids that played for St. Agnes. They were younger than me, but they were a college basketball player. We, I loved it. I played like four seasons on that team. And the last two seasons, we I, I, I sponsored a team. And, and we played, and we had a ball. And that was, again, now, now I was able to... Uh, be indoctrinated into coaching basketball because it was baseball prior to that Mm. and i loved it but i was also a player coach at the time right um the 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 fun part for me was i got to play at a level that i what didn't have the opportunity opportunity to do in high school right and um, even better this is even better yeah it was great and 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 so you never say never another lesson learned for me never say never because really, if you're, if you're performing well, be it here, be it in high school, be it in college, whatever, most players don't go on to play professional athletics. So at some point, we all have to accept that, hey, I, I got to get a job and I got to... But it doesn't forego the love of what we have to do. Mm. So I really, really had a great time. And some of those guys that I played with are friends with me today. And when I see them or talk to them or we connect on Facebook or something... Uh, we laugh. I I, I, mean, if I tell you stories. It's great. It's absolutely great. Mm. And and that was my f- uh, my entry into coaching basketball. To to c- continue that thought, just quickly, um, when I moved from Seaford in 1991 to Port Jefferson, and this is a funny spiritual thing for me, which which we can touch on. I had just played sports, I was playing baseball, I wasn't coaching, I was in the mall, Smith Haven Mall, and I went to a bookstore and I saw a book, and it said, I still have it today, Coaching Basketball. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm gonna do that. And I took the book, bought it, brought it home, read it a little bit, picked up the phone, I called Port Jefferson um, Infant Jesus Parish and said, who's the CYO director? And I got the guy's name, I called him, Uh, He never returned my call. I called him again, never returned my call. Third time I called him... You didn't text him? No, no, there was no texting. It was on a regular phone. (laughs) 1991. Okay. Um, He called me back and he said... uh, And, you know, this is Bart, Bart Rubin, a great guy. And he was the director of a big program in, in Port Jefferson. And he said to me, you know, he has a voice, like a deep voice, you know. Like, I, I felt like I was talking, like, to the head of the mob or something like that. I was like, uh-oh, this guy's a serious guy. Oh, yeah, I don't, uh, I got to meet you. I got to talk to you. I was like, okay, well, you don't have any kids, you know. And I understand that because they got to vet that. You know, people calling up, I don't have any children. I want to coach kids, you know. Mm-hmm. You, know, you want to get vetted. So I met him, and then we hit it off. And, uh, uh, he, he had an opportunity to coach a team. And that really was my, um... I think 92, 93, 94 I became CYO director for Infant Jesus within 3 years time and we had a travel program that program was big I think we had 20 schools we had 3 400 kids we had an intramural program and we had a travel basketball program so that's when I and that's also the time that there was Super League Jim Fox and then there was um, AAU and uh, I met Debbie Bradjevich from uh, the Long Island Silver Bullets, who was uh, the, f- the female coach at Kellenberg. Yep, women's varsity so coach. Right, so when the job opened up in 1997, I was away on a tournament with my 13-and-under team with uh, uh, Mr. Tom Rotkamp, and I had 13 boys in Mobile, Alabama, and then for the AAU Nationals in Memphis, Tennessee. It was 19 days we were on the road. And I went in and, and interviewed with uh, brother, brother Kenneth, who I went to school with, and that's how I got the job. At Kellenberg. At Kellenberg. I went to Shamanah. I coached right? at Kellenberg.
0: So, wow, that was... I, I didn't so know that's... I, know I, I, kind of,
1: I kind of fast-forwarded through the thing, no, there's a lot more details to that, but that really was the entry. Each and every time you coach, too, uh, just to expand on that thought a bit, each and every time you coach at a particular level, you refine your own skills. Now, in that time, I went to four or five clinics... Clinics with UB Brown, clinics at Hofstra, Jay Wright had a clinic. Um, uh, I, 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 there's a myriad of coaches. I also bought a lot of – Phil Telly from St. Josephs, wonderful training tunes. And Mike Shashevsky, uh, you know, his, all his stuff that you can buy online and study it to help you develop your philosophy as a coach, um, I devoured that stuff. And and so now I'm watching Mike Krzyzewski stuff and I was always a great college basketball fan as well. I watched that my entire life. But implementing that for kids, it's 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 very quick. You quickly learn what works and doesn't work. You know, you can come into coaching on the I'm going to teach them some plays, you know. But as soon as they do the play once after that, the other team knows what they're doing. So you have to teach them how to play, not just plays, not not that quick hitters and strategy isn't important for situational, but you got to find a way to instill a philosophy of what it is you're doing. Mm. The more you educate yourself as to what successful philosophies are, the more you have the ability because coaching is about strategy. It's also about motivation. It's also about philosophy. It's also about how you approach. you got to read your kids. Some kids you can yell at and some kids you can't say anything to because Mm. they cut shut down, you know? Right. And... It's it's a difficult test. My career, work-wise, was a salesman. I mean, I was I was in the electrical wholesaling business. So, one of the things you learn as a salesperson, and the misnomer is that all salespeople are full of full of crap and they're just trying to sell you stuff. It's really opposite for real salesmen, um, which is we you want to provide a service that's fair, but you want to be reliable. And respectful to your customers so you do business with them over time and you have to learn how to read people so that was a, a I think a, a, an unforeseen asset to my ability to convey philosophies from coaching to my kids to your point earlier the team that I had for Kellenberg my first year that was an, that was a, a highlight in my life as coaching because I got a couple of players, and the ingredients were brand new. And and it could have been anybody, but it was the right fit at the right time, and I was in the right space to give them what they needed, but they gave me what I needed. Mm. And you were
0: on the team, so you know. Yeah, well, what was your... Well, first of all, how over the moon were you that you got accepted for the position? Because... I know what a big deal it is to just be a varsity head coach anywhere. I think that's just an accomplishment in and of itself as a basketball coach anywhere. At it, You know what I mean? I, yeah, think That's I, a big I, thing. And at the same time, what was your first, <laughs> um, I guess, recollections of, of that from how you remember it, from your vantage point?
1: Uh, well, I think it was 97 or 98, right? It's 97, 98. Well, first of all, getting the job, I, I remember thinking to myself, it, it's just a short period of time that I was walking in the Smith Haven Mall and I said, you know, I'm going to do that. Mm. Think about it. It's yeah, 91. You it yeah. So 91 or 92. Six years and now you're six a Six years I was coach. a varsity basketball coach and I said, man, anything is possible. But, that's part of my thing, you know, that's part of my philosophy inside, you know, thoughts become things, That's I'm, I'm a great believer in that, the dog in your head that you feed is the one that lives, so if you're going to be a constant negative uh, henny penny, the sky is falling that's what you're going to manifest and create in your life, and if you're going to be the power of positive thinking, Norman Vincent Peale, great book, years ago um, if you can have positive thoughts, and, and I think the number one ingredient to success and there's many pieces of literature written on it is the belief that you're going to be successful you know you have to believe of course you got to do work of course you got to practice of course you got to move in the direction but without belief i don't know that you can summon the discipline necessary to excel to a level that you're looking to excel doesn't Mm. mean you have setbacks or not so i i somehow i knew i was going to get the job so i kind of knew it But at the same time, I was like, wow, that was fast, you know, and, and I, I, I think from my perspective, um, I wanted to take everything I had learned and apply that to Kellenberg. And prior to that, given the information that I had with the team and the dynamics and cat, don't forget something. I wasn't in the Catholic high school coaching circle. So there's a lot we can talk to about that. Um, you know, um, I had and I wasn't a teacher so I was thrust into a situation as a as a, a newbie a freshman let's say and I only I I could only default to the things that I knew I was going to coach you guys to the best of the ability that I could coach you and and give you what my strategy was and and kind of assess and build a program don't forget I didn't have a program You know, I love the fact that I was coaching in school and we practiced every day because I was teaching my philosophies to AAU kids once a week, you know, and I had six practices and we were off to a tournament. So I was in this accelerated mode. You're doing this, you're doing this. This is how we break a press. This is what we're doing. And with high school,
0: I had just six days a week every, you know, for two hours, two and a half hours every day. That must have been a treat. And I guess my recollection of that was... My sophomore year, I had a lot of success. We didn't make the playoffs, and I do remember that varsity team. And the bridge between JV and varsity is that the seniors move on to college, the juniors end up becoming the leaders, and then the sophomores get thrusted upon varsity of something that has always been magical. Because, you know, I always say, even to this day, the hardest team to make at Kellenberg Memorial High School is the girls' JV volleyball team and the boys' freshman basketball team because everyone thinks they can play. Yeah. And they've come from wherever they came from, and they don't know anything of anything. And then without fail, you'll go with the left-handed layup. You weed out like 40 kids. They're not coming back tomorrow, right? (laughs) Then the next day, okay, now we'll see what your IQ is. Okay, this guy can't, this guy's a turnover machine. This person doesn't have the IQ. Now we have the team. And it's a crushing blow because you, you know firsthand of what you think you are and and who you are in your town. But then when you pit yourself with all of these people, right? But the nth level of that, the highest degree of that whole rite of passage is JV Well, from freshman to JV. And you know, everyone can't make the JV team go to varsity because it's all of ninth grade, all of 10th grade. And then it gets halved. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say
1: that I think the biggest transition is the JV players that have to go play on varsity because half of them aren't going to make
0: the team. Right. Because you got half that are there. And it was always you know? a big deal. You, you go to those games, and it, it felt like it mattered. They, they played music at the games. They, they had an well, they a, had Listen, it's a big thing. It's, it, you're, you're on the high school basketball team. There's 12 guys. It's crazy. That's so, it, out of the whole school. So you know? as a sophomore, I always thought it was a big deal. So I remember going into that season thinking, like, well, the good players left... And now the juniors are going to be seniors. And there was a couple people that came out of nowhere. How many, how many seniors left the team? Before? A lot, man. They had, there was, uh, there was Ter- si- Terrence, six or seven, right? Terrence Crowley, um, Desir Marshall. There was, there was a lot of them. There was like ten of them. But the thing is, you know, that particular team, they didn't have the people that stepped up for you. In particular, Brian Loesch, who came out of nowhere. He had the tenacity of a lacrosse player. Guess what? He's a lacrosse player. Yeah, and he no, played no. basketball with that same type of tenacity.
1: No, he could shoot very well. Too.
0: Then you had somebody on a chip with a so- shoulder, Rich Ferrier, who got cut perennially up until he met you and he, he was with me. And I remember we, we came out first day of tryouts. He's like, you know, whatever happens, happens because, you know, he's so used to getting cut. You know, he's just so used to just playing rec ball and never getting a chance. And well, I got listen. I got to give him a lot of credit. My
1: recollection of that is: here's new coach, and here's a kid who who didn't play for three years in high school, who could have easily said, "Ah, I'm not going to go, am I?" But he loved basketball and wanted to play. And honestly, when he came out. I, I, I thought he was on the team. He played great. He had great tryouts. He ended up being a starting player, four, number four player performed. for me. And he <laughs> And he performed very well. Yes, he did. And, 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 and my recollection of that team is I was very fortunate. Uh, Jay. Uh, Mastriano. Uh, yep. Fantastic, strong player. Uh, he had a knee injury, so there was a little iffy there. But the first time he really came out and, and played, I was like, you know, he was he was a blue chip player for high school, tough kid, you know, and he played a big role in, in what we did. And, and Brian Uber was Brian Uber to this day is probably the single best kid I have had a coach. And that's no indifference to you. No, it's OK. But I have to tell you something, the desire, the determination, the tenacity, his ethics, his respect, his leadership. And and I remember in the beginning, and this is a little part of the intricacies of coaching because I was new. Brian's desire... And and Brian's a smaller player, a shorter player. He's a point guard. I get it. But he had this tenacious desire to prove to me how good he was. And I think that the... The buying into the system happened when I pulled Brian aside and I said, listen, I've watched you play. You, you're, you're my point guard. I got it. You're my point guard. You never said that to me. No, because you weren't my point guard. <laughs> you were a good player. I was a point guard. Yeah, Yes, you were. Absolutely. But at that point, I made the decision that Brian Yuba was going to be my point guard. No, he deserved it. And it but when I told him that, mm. my point is the the trying too hard kicked back a notch, and suddenly Brian was able to distribute and do the things to the point that we needed to. And I don't know if you remember. I remember this clearly, and it's funny because this is a long time ago. Very long time But I remember clearly that we were in a game where we were down, and, and Brian got that desire like, I'm going to take over. And he did two or three things that were directly opposite of what my direction was, and I had to take him out of the game. And I took him out of the game, and I sat him on the on the bench, and I said, "I told you that you're not to do this. You need to do that, and I'll sit there." And we had a couple of more exchanges, and my goal was, listen, I'm not going to keep him out of the game. I, I just need him to understand that he has to listen. And we went back in the game, and he and 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 I think it might have been against Glen Cove. I'm not sure the team, but I know we won the game, and we won the game because he came back in, and and he was able to implement under direction what I wanted him to do you know and that's not saying that, that I made the difference it's more uh, a story about attitude with how we approach things and, and you got a lot of that being on my team because we talked a lot about oh yeah, uh, you know, philosophy of how you're approaching adversity you know if a guy fouls you really hard and you're looking to get revenge and foul him back and that happens many times in that attempt, you could twist your ankle and lose your whole season. Mm. And I think I used that as an example. And I think most of the guys on the team were open to that. You guys were open. You guys were, um, uh, you were like a uh, like a sponge. You were like, "Here's a new coach, and and you know what? He's got enthusiasm and he's excited." And we worked hard.
0: We were rolling. We were rolling. I, I was feeling good. And you know, one thing that I always wanted to pay homage to somebody like Brian Huber because. He should have been the person that made me want to work harder. I was a kid from playing playground. I never played CYO. So all this organized stuff, the way that I played, always got me two fouls, always, without fail. And I would always not make smart decisions because I was never guided in an organized manner. I always played like a loose cannon, kind of like Manu Ginobili. But the thing is, when you see somebody like Brian Huber in the lab, right? you either match his intensity or you concede see that he's just better than you. And that's how I always felt. So I never felt slighted one bit when that man started over me, played over me, because he deserved everything he got because he worked that hard. I wasn't willing to match that. But
1: yeah, but my recollection of you as, as a player was- I can't wait to hear this. You worked really hard. You were on the team, you were a part of the team, but there are roles on a team. Everybody can't start you know and so coaches have to make decisions and some of those decisions are difficult some players may be just as good as another player but for some reason we have to make a difficult decision and say look your role on the team is going to be the backup point guard and that's what's going to be now if Brian got injured that would have been your position you certainly came in and played and the good thing about coaching in games where we were able to have some, some flexibility I was able to do the right thing by my players some coaches don't do that and I get it they want to play the players hey look this high school we want to win you know this isn't uh intramural basketball everybody needs a fair opportunity and i'm all for that okay um that's this is a competitive situation and the other lesson that i learned the tough lesson was and i don't necessarily know what the answer to it is but some of the other schools recruit players i mean we're playing players from europe and i'm not going to name names and i'm not going to put anything out and i get it but they're trying to implement a strategy that brings success to the school, and and they do that within the confines and the rules of the school. Uh, Kellenberg is not; they're not about that. And I agree 100%. I don't necessarily know that I think that it's the most ethical thing to go recruit for high school, although players do it. They stretch the rules, they bend the rules, and we we as coaches have to kind of work with what we got. My first year, I got a lot of blue chip players that maybe didn't know they were blue chip players but when we came out and beat St. John's in the first game news that. newsday wrote uh, uh, like wh- where did this team come from and at the end of the year I, I i mean they gave me coach of the year i'm very proud of that but i didn't get that i played a role in it in my strategy but my players got that mm. and 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 you 're a part of that, every single person on the team is integral to that because don 't forget something while we 're practicing every day, if you 're not giving me one hundred percent like we discussed, then my players who are starting aren 't getting your effort that 's integral in how we work and how and our philosophy that 's how we approach the game. you know that 's the unseen, and it 's not easy for some players, and you you know it, and I learned that lesson the year later and the year later. <laughs> Because, we, we, you know, some players can't handle that. They think they should play, and, mm. and, and we could go on and on yeah. about it. But at the end of the day, that year for me uh, was, was, was a magical year. I'm very proud of that. And, yep. and the kids, a lot of kids went on to be successful, you know. And, and uh, you know, um, it's a memory. I hope they got a lot out of it, and obviously you did because we're having this conversation. Um, but I got a lot out
0: of it. It's a two-way street. It's a symbiotic relationship, you know. That second half of that season, I remember our mantra was, we're going to Hofstra. And we really we really wanted to do that. We wanted to play at a neutral site. I mean, that was really big for us. And sometimes we always knew the formality of what was going to happen when we played St. Mary's. But the fact that we just got there and we accomplished that goal of that, that's a testament to you. Because you literally made all of us believe.
1: Well, know? it was a testament to all of us. Listen, you guys earned it. Uh, you beat the players, necessary to get there. And we were in that game. We were in that okay? game. Okay? Uh, you know, we, we, we tried a philosophy. It didn't really work well, but I think it worked well. But we were in the game. And don't forget, they had some blue-chip players. Timmy Cluse a great coach, fabulous coach, and he's a basketball maven. I mean, he's, he's connected. He played. He knows everybody. he got good players to go to St. Mary's. He's coaching now in college, a very successful guy. Um, I admired him, and... Um, he left no stone unturned he recruited he uh, he scouted us several times prior to us playing. Now this was Kellenberg uh, ranked last. Oh, they're nothing. They're they're never good, you know. And yet there's Timmy Cluse in the stands again and, and and I'm saying, why is he here? Why is he looking at it? you know, the, he's a, he's a fabulous coach and I learned a lot from him too, mm. you know, and uh, um, yeah, it was a good experience, you know. And and, and my te- even though my tenure at, at Kellenberg was short, Um, I don't I don't I don't have any regrets. I I might disagree a little philosophically with the way they handle things. But by the same token, it's their school. I'm not faculty. You got to abide by the, you know, how they approach things and and work within the confines. And we agreed to part ways. And and that was the end of my high school coaching career.
0: I think what's ironic is that when you left, I kind of picked up and I've been there for 20 years now. So um, (laughs) well, that's a good thing. Why? I also find it Um, kind of fortuitous now that I'm able to speak to you. And I think about, you know, we had our second day of tryouts for volleyball and I kind of have to get the cobwebs out because I'm not really, I'm a coach for eight weeks and then after that I'm a referee. But one thing that I always talk about, especially now that we've had success and your daughter who we'll also speak about um, is a big part of that. Um, We call something that we impart to the kids something called Championship Habits. And I akin it to something like defensive rebounds. Defensive rebounds is, yes, it's a stat, but it it, it only requires effort and intensity. And what I say to that is, um, you have to have those championship habits, even though it's the second day of practice. And I know that sounds crazy. And all I can think about is when you're talking, I think about myself when I was a junior in high school. And you were talking all these high-level philosophical things that will mean something to you later on. And I don't know if it planted the seed and it lay dormant and now it's come to fruition. But, you know, I always found it very difficult to communicate to those kids of things that they should know but they're not ready for. Mm-hmm. So how did you find that balance of of saying the right things and, and I guess finding out the temperature of what needs to be said when sometimes kids are just not mature well, enough well, to understand that's
1: It's that. a great question. It's a great question. I it, It's probably the dilemma that all coaches go through. And I think... Uh, we kind of do it on the fly. I, I mean, I do it on. It's hard to plan for that. How do you How do you plan? I'm, I got a very, very talented, strong kid with minimal desire. How do I get him to go? Is he? Do I yell at him? Do I put him on the bench? Sometimes you can disconnect c- connect him. And and I've had those kids too where they just said, you know, screw this, I, I don't care. And 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 that you're not going to get through to everybody. I I, I think you got to uh, approach it by the the ingredients that are in the pan at the time you're 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 cooking your omelet so to speak as maybe that's a bad metaphor but you need to assess and 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 you can probably draw on i draw on my 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 i i was in a people business you have to read the people that you're working with you know you have a conversation with somebody and you just have like this thought um that like um Oh, we 're going on and on, your it's body' okay. you're, no 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 i we 're going on and on, oh, but that was my metaphor in right. other words you 're in a conversation with somebody and you, you just have the conversation's getting awkward, and your body language changes. they should be able to read that you ever talking with somebody who has no idea, and he just keeps going on and on you 're like i gotta go i got you know that awkward moment it may 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 or may not be applicable to you in your life, but my point is you have to kind of read <clears throat> excuse me. Or assess the dialogue that you're in or mm. the relationship you're there in. It's true in anything. It's true in a marriage. It's true in a job. You can't you can't walk into your boss as an arrogant guy and, and maybe some bosses want you to do that. So you gotta right. kinda of read that. So to your point, um, how did I do it at Kellenberg? I, I took the ingredients of who I got and I tried to give one hundred percent of myself to you and instill the disciplines from the standpoint of strategy and philosophy and determination and effort so that you guys apply that. The fact that you still remember that, the fact that you're coaching uh, tells me, and, and I'm proud of that, that it had some sort of an effect on you. Definitely. And I know you've mentioned that to me in the past. And and it's a special gift, you know, and we discussed this. What's the odds of two human beings interacting in life compared to all of time? Mm. I mean, it's a special thing. If somebody's in your life, it's special. It's like winning lotto 50 times. We had this discussion. Yeah. So you want to cherish those moments and not waste them, you know, and that's not to say that you're not going to have disagreements. There aren't going to be people that, that do things that are not in your um, confines of ethics or morality or or there are people that behave like like you wouldn't do that. You don't have to be friends with the entire world. But at the same time, when you're coaching, you're an environment, you have to apply those principles and try to put everything together to the point where you reach a better success or a better outcome than you would uh, individually. Mm. Synergistically, maybe, that, was, that would be a good word, right. you know. Um, it was easy my first year at mm. Maybe it wasn't easy, but it it, it, it was Lightning in a bottle, it was very good. We, all of a sudden, I, I, you know, and you know it as a coach. You know, you, you, you get your players. If you give to the players, the players will give to you. And if they know that you're not full of baloney, and maybe that's uh, the ingredient that I left out of the conversation. If you're truthful, true at heart, or, or honorable in your assessment or your ability or your effort, then they, they pick up on that. If they feel you're disingenuous or you're phony, in any way, shape, or form, you won't be successful because they're not going to believe you. And if they don't believe you, they're not going to do the things you want. Mm. They may smile at you and say, "Yeah, yeah, coach, yeah, we're doing it." And they walk out and say, full of crap. He said he was going to do this. He didn't do that. He said he was going to do that either." And I think, I, 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 I think you got to balance that. You know,
0: one of my favorite recollections of that, um, those times, that '97, '98 team was, you bring your kids there, and there was this one. I, I think it was your daughter, Megan. She was 10 years old. And I remember we would be doing drills and you would yell at her with the same intensity you yelled at us about her not doing the drill. (laughs) And she's like, I don't even want to be here. Yeah. And it all came full circle because when I did come back to Kellenberg, come to find out she's the assistant varsity volleyball coach. And that's the that's the sport that I love. That's the sport that I love because I didn't have the success that I had in basketball and kind of like how baseball was for you. That's what my identity was. I was a volleyball player. Right. I had my championships in that. So, you know, it kind of came full circle that here we are, you know, you were a 10-year-old. Well, you coached her, right? I did coach her. Yeah, so, her so it goes full it was, circle. It was, it was crazy. So I coached her, didn't see her for a time, and then she was the coach. And I was like, that's the same That's the same girl that I remember getting yelled at in practice when I was in high school. And then in turn, now being, a, a, a you know, the girl that was always crazy on my team and always disrupting people and, and just being the life of the party to being the coach and being a respected coach from her knowledge of volleyball. And, you know, as time went on, as and I was like year three, year four, you know, we would talk to the kids and as time passed, as we both got older, I was like, Yeah, I used to coach her and they're like, Wow, how old are you? Because they look at they look at they look at Coach Curtin as, you know, a grown woman and then you know, as as we kept having those conversations, it was just really funny to see the kids, kind of kind of hear that. I remember her as a girl, I used to coach her, and now she coaches with me, and you know she's a grown person. So, mm-hmm. um, just talk about coaching your kids. How was that like? Oh, it's a great question,
1: and I was going to go into that. You know, that's the that's the uh, the that's the double-edged sword for coaching, because because you, if you're coaching, you usually end up coaching your kids. And you don't want to coach your kids in a in an intramural or a private or a town setting and, and then play your kid more, even though some people do that. How do you motivate your kid? You're you're the parent. You're not their friend, you know. So if you talk to Megan today, she'd probably point out sometimes where my dad was unreasonable in his expectations. But you're trying to push him. You're trying to motivate him. Uh, but I guess the proof is in the pudding. You know, you do the best you can. There are no right answers. There are definitely parents who are over the top with their kids. And I think there are some ESPN sports shows or shorts or whatever that that show this. And I, as a, as a coach and as an athlete my entire life, I look at these parents and I go, oh, my God. You know, and, and um, there's definitely parents who are over the line as far as trying to influence their kids' career. I get it. It's out of love. It's out of desire. It's out of a want for their children to be successful. Uh, but I think you got to temper it. Most people do. Most, I think, most coaches do. Um, as far as coaching my kids were, I put a lot of effort into it. I tried to train them. Uh, I know Megan. Megan uh, didn't like the fact that she was the only girl at the boys' basketball camp. But I wanted her to play with the boys. You know. Now, proof is in the pudding. So let's discuss that a little bit. Uh, Megan is a very successful woman today. She went on to play volleyball, college volleyball, in Scranton. Summer fall, I didn't play college sports. I wanted to, but I didn't. That's a fact. My daughter did. That's a fact. Okay, and not only did she, she was captain of the team her senior year. And, 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 and she went on to play three sports at Kellenberg. She got great grades, went to Scranton, uh, and I think that she conveys to me today that she draws upon the experience of Kellenberg, the experience of athletics, as far as how it has impacted her career and her life. And today she has a house, she has two beautiful children, she's a nurse. She went back to Binghamton to get her nursing degree in an accelerated program. She's married to a wonderful guy, and uh, you know uh, that's all a parent can ask for. You know we're not trying to control everything your children doing you're trying to prepare them so that they become adults and, mm. and successful adults so in that regard um you know i'm i'm, I'm super proud of all my kids but uh, you know i gotta say she's uh she's a gem she's, yeah, she's a, gem. a dear she's friend I, a
0: I saw her recently she came kid. by the uh the volley the volleyball camp uh early in july and uh, she looked like her hands were tied up <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. well she's busy you know? Yeah, it's, got two it's, little kids. It's yeah. hard to juggle.
0: Suddenly, suddenly, I got a lot smarter. <laughs> hard, hard, hard to juggle. Yeah, now, now, she's leaning on you for real. Yeah. Um, real quickly, what was your recollection of the second year, which was a complete 180 from our first year?
1: Well, you you get you, you get dealt cards. You know, we we had we had some attitude issues, and I'm not going to name any names. This isn't about singling people out. We we lack some talent. I might have made some poor decisions. I think I I I I. I Maybe should have kept some people I should have kept and worked with them. I regret that you know um uh, i'm i I probably was struggling with not having the cohesiveness that we had in year one, you know, and year three was immerse, you know that was tough as well, and there was some politics there, but um we had some moments of brilliance. We, you know, you got to draw on what you were able to do. We, we were not an overly talented team. I, I, don't, I don't think uh, the best coach in the world would have had much of a different result because no. we were playing some tough teams. Yeah. And,
0: and, 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 we leveled up our schedule and we lost all of the talent.
1: Oh, we, well, we lost a lot of the talent. And, and we tried to replace it. And then we had some, you know, I, I think we had a couple of kids that, that um, didn't have cohesiveness with the two grades. We lost a couple of players because
0: they said, "I'm not, I'm not going to do this," you know. Yeah, there wasn't the same even camaraderie that we had in terms of buying in the first no. year. No, and
1: and 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 there were some things that were unacceptable, you know, lack of effort and 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 um, lack of determination or respect for fellow athletes is not acceptable, you know. And and in some re- in some regards, um, I had to make some difficult decisions, and that's not singling any one person out, but. You know, on the fly, you make the decision you make, and you got to deal with the guys that you got. And then, halfway through the season, I remember this saying, "You know, maybe I made the wrong decision with that guy, and maybe I made the the, the right decision with this one. And let me see what we can do to pull it out." You know, mm. uh, it was difficult. We didn't win a lot, and uh, you know. And then there's some politics. There was politics in high school too, and and, and difficulty with some parents and. But that's okay, you know, I I don't regret it, and uh, I did the best I could, I was honorable, I worked hard, these kids worked hard, I think some of them took away some of the same, I didn't alter my philosophy as a coach, Uh, I just didn't get the same buy-in that I got with the ingredients I had the year before, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't regret that, and... uh, Parted ways amicably, quasi-amicably with Kellenberg. I don't nothing negative to say about that. My daughter went to the school, Mm -hmm. you know, so that was you know she was at the school at that time, you know. Right. So, um, yeah, that was it. Was okay. I I I did coach a couple of AAU seasons. Um, I didn't go back into school coaching because of the politics, and at the same time, I was I was running a business. So um, I said maybe I should take a break. I think that was two thousand and one. You know. I said, maybe I should take a break. And, and yeah, of course, my kids were little. I coached my kids, you know. And then I, I, I think I coached a couple of AAU seasons with Megan and Silver Bullets. And, uh, and I love that, that was fun. We had a ball traveling, you know. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was, that's my recollection of, of you know, it, it taught me how to deal with adversity, you know. You wanna try to come up with what it is I need to do to get these guys to win ball games. And sometimes you, it's no matter what you do, you're not, you know. Mm. And you get through to some of them, and you don't get through to others. And uh, you know, you got to take. Hey, look, the buck stops with me. I got to try to do the best I can with the ingredients that I got. And if you win, you win. If you don't, you don't. And there's no greater victory in your heart, knowing that you have risen the ability of of a team that technically shouldn't win the game, but because. They're buying into what you do when they win the game. And I've had that with AAU a couple of times, you mm. know. And that's a great, wonderful. But you also got to accept the, the other side. You may have some kids that, for some reason, for some season, some games make some mistakes, don't perform well, and you got to accept that, you know.
0: Outside looking in, um, I think the game has changed considerably from the time that I started officiating basketball, right. I think that there's so many new moves that I wish that I, I knew because... Uh-huh. It really favors the guard, some of the sidesteps, the Euros. I mean, they're really effective in the game when when you have that type of command. Um, how do you think coaching has changed from, you know, when you ultimately stopped doing high school to what you perceive now uh, in coaching?
1: Well, I think the game has changed. I mean, I, I, I think some of these players are uh, bigger, stronger. The ability to handle the ball, distribute the basketball, it it. it, it it offers new tools in your strategy. You know, if you've got a six, eight player who can handle the ball, like a point guard, that really wasn't the case when I was a kid, you know, we, we had defined roles, you know, uh, athleticism is a big part of the game. Some of the fundamentals in my observation are lost, but the athleticism makes up for that. So, um, I, I enjoy it. I like the evolution of the game. You know, I, I kind of try to break down some strategies and look at, at players and look at teams and what they do. And they're markedly different than my core system, because my core system is 20 years old, 25 years old. You know, it's not that I couldn't take that, study it, learn it, and implement it. Mm-hmm. It still has motion principles and fundamental, uh, you know, uh, basics as far as catching and triple threat and all that kind of stuff, but... Um, but the game is fascinating And, and, and I, I think the pro game is fascinating And there was a time Where I, where a lot of people were like ah, I, don't, I don't want to watch the pros I think that was where we had that defensive um, Where you had to be within three feet So you know 24 second clock and being within three feet Of your player Well that's that, Why I don't have to pass the ball in motion offense You know I'm going to isolate The two, two best players I got I can play pick and roll and I can get the ball and get the shot that I want, uh, and but to the fan, it looks like everybody else is standing around. They kind of adjusted that in the pro game, and, and you know, and and they allowed them to play defense as long as we don't have def- defensive three seconds. But when you get down to it, I mean, these these guys are uh, are, are phenomenally incredible. incredible at what they can do Oh, yeah. and how they can perform, and it, it it's outstanding. I I I, I still have the same passion and love for both college and and pro, and the pro game yeah not everything is the same you know but if you love the game you, you, you certainly can pick out the things that are fantastic yeah you know?
0: i just recently did a game at rucker park two days ago and um the two teams they were both double a um brooklyn and queens psal teams and you know one guy he had 17 Division One scholarships already. He's only a sophomore. The other guy already committed to Iowa. And I'm talking about these kids are going up and down, doing all the new moves that they do in the pros. And I'm thinking to myself during a timeout, like, I don't even think I ever played basketball watching these guys, man. And it's like an honor that I'm on the court with them, That the fact yeah. that I can share the court with them.
1: Well, you have admiration for it, right?
0: Yeah, I do. I,
1: I, I think the other thing, uh, one of my observations or takeaways from from intramurals, AAU, sports, you know, AAU's great. Okay, I love it. Uh, any vehicle for children to be involved in organized sports, travel, camaraderie, learn is fantastic. But the other side of the coin is is your skills are going to be directly related to how much effort you put in. And, and, and take Brian Huber, for example. You never saw him without a basketball. No. Ever. He, he walked with it, dribbled with it. Uh, take a great musician, Jimi Hendrix. You never saw him without a guitar. He practiced and played all the time, okay? I think there's something to be said for that. And I think the kids today, um, they, they play year-round what they love to play. Uh, you know, Curry and Harden are phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal players. But what they can do with the basketball and how they can shoot... And I, I mean, it, it really is a gift that comes with hard work. Yes, you know, it, it's not it, you're not just born with that, and you can see the evolution when you see a young Curry and a Curry today, or you see a young Harden. Not, not to withstand, they have talent.
0: They were always good, but like even that.
1: LeBron, even LeBron, fat, fabulous, fabulous player, fabulous player. Okay, but look at the the ability and the skills that he has, you know. And there were. Uh, for each generation and time, when we go back to Wolf Fraser and when I was a kid, don't forget something, we had seven channels as I mentioned earlier. Well, we were glued to the Knicks if I you were in New York. It. I believe And, and the Rangers, I can, I can firmly remember in my young Friday nights and Saturday nights, little black and white TV in my room and I had my popcorn and my soda and I was watching the Knicks play or I was watching the Rangers play, you know? and And then a desire to go play. But, you know, at the same time, I was playing in my backyard with three kids, you know. So now there's leagues, there's parks, there's more opportunity for kids to get together and play all the time. And I think the kids that um, spend the time and the effort to live and do what they want to do are the ones that excel at their craft. And then there's a certain amount of natural ability that goes along with it. I mean, you you know if you're if you're five feet six you're not going to be six foot eight so you you know you got to you got to work with that Mm. so you may go to a certain level
0: you know Mm. so after everything you said what do you think are the attributes what do you think it took to get to where you are in this moment in time just as a person everything i've ever been through the good is uh i have a friend of mine a
1: dear friend and 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 we kind of like spitball back and forth and and he always says richie uh good, good, bad, good. And I look at him, I go, what are you talking about? And he says, good, good is good. When things happen they're good, it's good. He goes, but when bad things happen, it's good too. And I said, well, wait a second, explain that to me. And in a shortened sense, he said, when bad things happen to you, it immediately defines for you what you don't want. And I went, what? Say that again? He said, when bad things happen to you, it immediately defines for you what you don't want. Notwithstanding tragedy, I get that. And, and and even that has, there's gifts that come out of that, but um, metaphorically, if you get cut from something, you have to realize that um, I either need to do something not to get cut again, or I have to have the realization that I'm not talented enough to be at that level, so I have to do something else, and that's really what that is. Good, good, bad, good, because it defines for you what you don't want. So, uh, you know, if you want to be a nurse or a doctor and you keep failing the entrance exams, it's very clear. It's bad that you failed the exam, but the exam is telling you either you need to do one of two things. You Get need better, to study or... and, and live your dream. Or you need to say, I need to do something different because I can't do it. Mm. And and uh, it's hard to. And, and the other thing too, philosophically, just to touch on it a little bit. You can't have good without bad. You can't have up without down. You can't have hot without cold. So therefore, they're
0: really connected. Inter- they're really interwoven. they're
1: really the same thing. They're just different degrees of the same thing. So you can't really and and that's 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 philosophical. And we could go on and on. And I'm not a philosopher. Yes, you are. These are the things that I learned. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's it's not so much what happens to you. It's what you're going to do about it. Mm. You know, and and. We all, everybody in life goes through challenges, mistakes. I have tons of mistakes I made in my life. I could have let that paralyze me. And and we all know people that that does. Some people make mistakes and they're paralyzed by it and they they never get out of it. We've had relatives, we have friends where we watch them and and they just become hopeless and they can't get out of addiction or they can't get out of uh, depression or they have issues or they just don't seem to be motivated enough. You know, I I, I think the the gift is 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 we got to try to take the adversities in our life and carve them into stepping stones. And you've heard that from me in probably practice, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's I used to always get a little bit of criticism from my assistants because they used to say all the time, well, you're too philosophical with the kids, you know. And, and to a certain point, I would kick it back a little bit, because we could go on
0: and on and on. I'm pretty but, philosophical to my kids, and no one gives me any flag. But but at the end of the day, I think there's a
1: very important message. And if you can instill hope and 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 understanding out of adversity in in, in anyone, and we don't know, as human beings, who we affect, I think that's the greatest gift. Because by interacting with people, either your kids or your family for me personally i always want to say to myself am i contributing positively in that relationship or am i contributing negatively now that's a very deep question because in personal relationships the people who are closest to you can hurt you so your reaction may be well i'm not a doormat and i'm going to stand up to that i'm going to say but sometimes those interchanges are at the root of the difficulties that we have in life because we have misunderstanding. You did this, you said this, you did that, and next thing you know, you're not speaking to people. Mm. And and, and don't get me wrong. (laughs) I'm very much, that's been a big dynamic in life. But we try, I think, to transcend that and to learn and to take away from things that aren't perfect. It also makes the good things better. It's nothing like hitting a home run, bases loaded, and winning the game okay you're not going to do that every time we understand that in fact if you're a good hitter you're going to fail more than you than you than you succeed but there's nothing like hitting a grand slam with the bases loaded and at the end of the day whether you're in 10th grade you're eight years old you're 21 or you're in the major leagues and you do it that feeling of that that adulation and success that 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 wondrous feeling of doing something like that is the same. Mm. The feeling is the same. The monetary compensation for it may be different, okay? Because if you're in the major leagues and you you hit well, you make a lot of money, and that's wonderful. But the bottom, the underlying feeling of it, the human condition, is the same. So we try to draw. You try to draw on that. I mean, you know,
0: um, it's a challenge. But
1: but all all, all life is a challenge, right?
0: What do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go, and ultimately, where do you want to go?
1: Well, I turned 60 this year, Uh-oh. so I, I want to get to that, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, my, my, all my children are, are doing well. I'm very happy about that, you know. Um, uh, personal la- relationships and life change sometimes. That's okay. Um, where do I want to go? I, I, I want to be healthy, happy, um, successful, constructive, um, uh, you know. And, and I think I'm there, really, you know. Uh, try to minimize the, your defects of character. I think as we get older, we get a little bit more introspective, maybe a little more spiritual. Um, but you know, something—I—I'm I, enjoying my life, and I got my kids and my grandkids, and I'd like to be a positive role model, successful at work. Uh, all the things that we learn through athletics, through education. My parents worked hard. You know, they suffered with some demons at times. You know, with they didn't always have. Um, uh, the, maybe the, from my perspective, the proper perspective on things. But they, you know, everybody walks the walk that they walk, and unless you're in their shoes, you don't know. You know, I think everybody, even 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 the 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 sadness and the adversity and the tragedy. If people make a decision, they're making the decision that they think is right at the time they make that. That doesn't let them off the hook if it's an illegal thing or if it's it comes with consequences. But the testament to that is that they made the decision. The results or the consequences or the accolades or the victories are all part of the what we experience in life.
0: It's
1: mm. yeah. so deep. Um, it is, it is. It would is. you
0: ever consider coaching again? Oh, are you sure I would. Yeah, if the right opportunity
1: came along. Uh, you know, it's hard. When you're removed from it, you kind of lose your contacts and connections, but... I love it I, I, I think I would have to For my own uh, personal responsibility To have to spend a little bit of time Updating myself But I think my fundamental philosophy And my ability to get things done I mean there's still things that I, I watch in television Like oh my guys did that You know
0: I, I get that So uh, The game yeah. is vastly different from what I remember Vastly different
1: It, it is Absolutely but, some, but it's also cyclical Because you know Some of the fundamental things that we all do you gotta break a press, Ralph. You have know, if they're pressing you gotta break a press. Well, there's certain ways to do it. You know, there's not all of the ways to break a press are out there. Okay? Mm. So you can do it in confines of who you got. So yes, there are there's a lot of different things and there's some different ways to approach things, as we touched on by the players that you have, the athleticism of the of the guys that you have. Yeah, man. But I think uh that wouldn't be a difficult adjustment if you have a passion for the game, because it's just you're. You have to just go out and do a little bit of work and say, "Hey, look,
0: I got to update myself." You know,
1: the uh, the I formation isn't working anymore. You <laughs> we'll
0: have, we'll have to do something a little different, right? This has been so special to me because, you know, sometimes I can envision, although all of those philosophical talks, when we would drive to Fridays and you bring the whole team and then you drive me home and then you drive Phil home and. I think what was so special for me in this recording is that I'll always be able to hear your voice over time. You know, like it's 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 very special to me because you know people come and go in your life. Um, I think some sometimes you know when you were talking about you don't know who you're gonna affect. Now that I spoke to you in your totality, you had a lot of the same similar experiences as me, and it just really comes full circle because. You know, maybe you always knew that I was going to be an adult, and at some point we were going to have this conversation. And <laughs> I guess you don't think of that as a kid, and you're like, you know what? He's the coach. And I think you broke the mold for me because I think I think in terms of like Kellenberg and, and volleyball, I'm the one that's like their friend. You know, they can come to me and talk about some real stuff that they don't want to talk about X's and O's. Mm-hmm. Trust me, and that's an integral integral part. Of the whole formula, because sometimes the coach can't talk as frank as me. And now I understand what's affecting them and in turn affecting their play, because just like you said, some things are up and and some things are down. And sometimes you can't based on, you know, your identity within them that you can't tap that out. So, you know, I found it a gift of what you were saying before of how do you draw that out of a kid? How do you draw somebody that has mucho talent, but has zero desire? And then, in turn, how about the kid that has all the desire in the world... And no tell. ...but can't do anything. And, yeah. and it's, it's always a an up and down, a left and right, and, and a hot and cold. That, so No doubt about it. I feel you, man. Well,
1: happy early birthday. Well, thank you very much. And first, let me say this. Let me say this. I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for being able to have this discussion. You and I have had several conversations. I know you reached out to me several years ago, and we talked about... And you did bring up, you know, hey, coach, you said this and you said this. And it's tremendously gratifying. I'm grateful and very flattering that you came to me and said, hey, listen, you in fact, you had to remind me of what I said. And I was like, oh, yeah, I I vaguely remember that, you know. Um, But it's 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 a wonderful um, icing on the cake for a coach to have former players. And I have a lot of them, you know, and that's a great gift. That's really the payment, you know for coaching that is if you can affect somebody and you be a positive influence on them and they they have admiration for that and they come back and 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 what a gift because each year you get a different group of kids Mm. so sometimes you get messages and i get them all the time and they're like adrian's calling me from california going hey coach and i'm like oh right i coached adrian you know and um i have a lot of gratitude for that and 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 i have a lot of appreciation for that Mm. so it's easy and and it's a gift you know it's uh it's the byproduct of being fortunate to have the kids that uh, that you had in your life. And and I, I'll even say even the ones that maybe don't have that affirmation because you can't please everybody. But those are great learning curves for me as well, because mm. I can sit back here and and rationally say, yeah, you know what? Uh, if I didn't have Mr. X in my life, and you know what? I, I learned what not to do. You know, and that's what you're going to draw on. You know? mm. And you're young enough to do that. You got your career ahead. You.
0: One thing I did want to ask you before we did leave is that: Are you going to be able to find the podcast when it is published? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep it really still. Sixty years old. <laughs> yeah, listen, I'm still around. Sixty's the new forty. That's yeah. what I like. Well, to then you should be knowing how to. Pull up a podcast, press well, play. Well,
1: then you'll help me.
0: It's going to be super trivia for you to hear yourself on the internet and other people talking oh, about imagine, it, but that's cool. Yeah.
1: That's great.
0: For Coach Carton, this is Ralph the Rep. This is The Ramp. We're signing out. Okay. Peace.